All right, good morning. Um, it's good to hear you. see you. How we're doing today? All right. Uh, as Eric started with, he mentioned that we were kind of bridging sermon series. The sermon series we're starting today is based on questions raised in a book by a, a great author that I, I have grown to love named Rebecca McLaughlin. Um, and, and her book, Confronting Christianity, is just fantastic. We've got up here a, a picture of the book with a QR code. If you haven't bought the book yet, we really want to encourage you to do that this summer. Buy it, get it on audiobook, get it on Kindle, get it on um, a, a hard copy. Uh, and so if you scan the QR code right now from your phone, from, from where you're at, it'll actually take you right to the Amazon link. Order the phone right now. Like, pull your phone out, do it, get the book, so that you're following along with us. We're not preaching the book. We're preaching the Bible, but we're using some of the content and especially the questions raised to help us. So if we're, for those of us who in here are followers of Jesus, it will help us navigate our faith and, and have a, a stronger assurance of the things we believe. For those of us in here who are wrestling with doubt and questions, it will give reason to believe. And for those of us in here who are seeking or for our friends and neighbors and people that we can have conversations with, it will, it will create ways for us to raise these questions and, and step into the big questions that they are asking about the Christian faith. And so, so today we're talking very specifically about this question, how can people say there's only one way to, to like how can you really believe there's only one way to God? Um, which is coupled with our final sermon in this series called Jesus Is, where we have been talking over the last like, couple months about these core truths, these core doctrines, these core beliefs that Christians throughout history have believed about the person, Jesus Christ. His person, his work, his mission in the world. And so um, the final sermon of that was going to be Jesus is Exclusive. But one of the questions in the book is, this, is the question, how can you say there's only one way? That's the same basic issue, so we're kind of combining them and kicking off one series and bringing the other series to a close. But they fit really close together because everything we're going to say as answers to the question are going to point us to Jesus, who we just learned about, if you've been with us, okay? And so Jesus is ultimately the answer to every question and, and, and what we want to point people to at all times, and so that's kind of where we're going. My dad used to tell a a story that he found funny, I kind of found funny too. Uh, as he's driving around West Texas, he got lost. And he pulls up to this guy who's, you know, somewhere sitting on the side of the road. And he's like, I need to get, and he explained a place where he was going to go. Some person's house, like, like, like this place. And he's like, it's over here. And it's this, this old farmer looked at him and went, all right, what you need to do is you need to, no. All right, what, what you need to do is you need to, that won't work. All right, you need to, and they look at my dad and said, you know what? You can't get there from here. That was not helpful, right? Now, those of you who are under 30 have no idea what an experience like that is like. Uh, because you've never had to stop and ask for directions, okay? You've never had to have a moment where you had to go, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to get there. What do I do? Because you've had your, your nice little smartphone. Uh, now it's just right there on your car in the screen right in front of you. And you just got to say outside, out loud, uh, Siri, I want to go here. And, you know, it, it will pop up right there where, where you can see it. Like, we don't ask each other for directions. We ask some phone how to get from point A to point B. And, and if, if you're like my wife, ladies, when it comes up and it, it tells you there's a route, all you do is you push go. You don't care if there's multiple ways. You have one way. It's the way Siri's going to tell you to go. Google Maps is going to tell you to go. You just hit go and you go. 
Men, if you're like me, what you do is you pull out your phone and you look at the options, right? Because it's drawn four different ways you get there. It says, this way will take you 32 minutes, this way will take you 35, this will take you 44 minutes. But what that is, is that you were looking at that going, but I have a better way. And, and Google Maps did not choose my way. What you have is options, okay? Uh, and, and so what I do is I'm like, but if I go here, cut over this street, I'm going my own route. And then I confuse, you know, sweet little Sirius. She's trying to explain to me where I'm supposed to go. And she keeps telling me, you need to turn around and go backwards. I'm like, nope, I got a better way. That, that's kind of how we do it, right? And, and you can know, guys, we're, we're always right. Our way is always going to get us there quicker. <laughs> my wife just looks at me and she shakes her head. She's like, oh my gosh. Uh, is, is our faith, is religion in the world like Google Maps, where it really what you're doing is there are multiple ways you can get there. They may take different times, different arrangements, but what you just need to do is click the route that you choose to take, or is there something else going on in the spirituality in the world? That's the question we're interacting with this morning. When we talk about the idea of salvation, about religion, about our pursuits uh, of spirituality, things like that, is it more like you choose your path, I choose mine, or as Christians have always claimed, is there something exclusive and different about our faith and very specifically about the person of Jesus? Now, if you were to, to go back to the first century and interact with the Christian world, this newfound faith of this person named Jesus that flowed out of the Jewish, the, the religion of Judaism, but it exploded in the Roman world. And you were to go to people at that point in time, you were to say, okay, I want you to explain to me like, what is a bumper sticker type slogan that defines the Christian faith? What is it that, what's the central truth that Christians believe? Do you know what the answer to that question would have been? It would have been this statement, that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. That would have been the central statement in the early church. In fact, throughout history, that would be the central statement. If you were to say, all right, we're just going to put something that is a bumper sticker slogan that explains the, the central core of what Christians believe, it would be the statement that this person who came and lived in history is truly the one true Lord of the universe. Now, they, got this, they would have got this phrase from several places in the scripture, but the place I'd like us to look at real quick is, is in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, uh, find a Bible. If you have an app, find that app. Uh, find the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament, a letter from this guy named Paul to this church in the city of Philippi that we call the book of Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, there are baskets at the end of rows that have Bibles. We would love for you to have one of those and read along with us. And we'll be on page 1084, uh, 1,084 in that Bible. And we're going to look at this, this great Christological moment, this place where Paul pauses in this letter, and he actually does something that's kind of crazy. He quotes a hymn. More on that in a minute. He quotes a song to make a point. But the song comes to the conclusion, uh, this declaration that Jesus is Lord, and it is a pretty bold, huge declaration. So, so grab your Bible, and let's look here at Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to begin with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, and here it is, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now here's what's going on. Paul is writing this amazing letter to this church, a local church like ours, like what we are this morning, a local church in the Greek town of Philippi, uh, which is in the northern part of ancient Greece. He writes, Paul planted this church. He went and started this church, preached the gospel. He loves these people. He knows them. And he writes this joy-filled, hope-filled letter telling them that their faith is real, that Christ is worth it to hold on. But in the midst of this, he, he is making this central point about them living humble, gentle lives with each other and before the world. And so when he says, have this attitude yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, the attitude he's talking about is this posture of humility and gentleness. But then what Paul does is he pulls a song, an ancient hymn, this song that they probably sang on Sunday morning, what they gathered. This this text is a lyric to a song they sang, and he it's, it would be just like me quoting a, a song that will be familiar with you all that we've sung here several times. He quotes this hymn, but this hymn is one of the highest moments in the simple, beautiful, brief explanation of the person and work of Jesus in all of Scripture. He says that, that he was God eternally, the one true and living. Not, not, not God like the gods of the Romans. Romans had all kinds of weird, bizarre world like superpowers, adventure gods, but they were all nuts and insane. No, no, he, he is coming from a Jewish worldview where there is one true and living God. And he's saying he was, he was God. He was this God, the one true and living God. But he came and, and, and he took on humanity. He became one of us. And then he humbled himself. He lived this life of humility before people. And that humility ended up with him humbling himself to the point of death even death on a cross. The, the, the sacrificial, substitutionary death of Jesus. Therefore, God highly exalted him. How? By raising him from the dead. Christ is alive forevermore. Physically, bodily rose from the dead. What Paul does is, is in one verse, and by the way, he alludes to the second coming here, a little later in Philippians, he makes it clear. What Paul has done in one brief passage is taken a hymn and in one brief passage has said everything that we've been saying over the last two and a half months. Let me show you, Jesus, the beauty of this story. The, 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 the humanity, the deity, the, the ministry of prophet, priest, king, the sacrificial death in our place, the, 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 the um, bodily, physical resurrection of the dead, the man coming out of the grave, the, the rule of Christ as Lord and King and Messiah, and, and the promise that he will come again to bring an end to history as both judge and redeemer. Um, in one quick hymn, Paul quotes, he takes everything we've been talking about, and what, what we've done, like, is, is just kind of skim the surface. I remember as a kid, uh, we would go to New Mexico on vacation, and we went to this place called Santa Rosa. And in Santa Rosa, there was this place called the Blue Hole. And I remember going there, uh, I, Santa Rosa, New Mexico, I remember being awed when we pulled up to it. It was just this little body of water that's no bigger, like, it's not even as big as this room, okay? 
But what it is was this, this underground cave that had this massive spring where it filled the cave so that what you had at the top was, was basically the cave had this giant opening hole where you could see into it. In fact, I, there's a picture of it from the air. That's the, that's the big blue hole. It's the, just the Santa Rosa blue hole. And I remember just being mesmerized at, the, at, at how blue and clear and beautiful this, this little thing of water. Now, um, people do swim in it. It's like... 56 degrees if you want to jump in. There are scuba divers who will go into it. But, but all we did is pulled up next to it and looked at it. From the surface, we looked at it. And what we found there is, was, was a beauty that literally mesmerized me, just looking, standing on the surface, looking at it. But what I discovered when I was there was that this blue hole is actually hundreds of feet deep. It has caverns and rooms in this cave that's underneath it. Uh, and, and at least back then, and I'm pretty sure even to now, nobody has ever actually reached the very bottom of this place. Um, there have been divers who've gone down searching and trying to map out the different rooms. But, but one thing happened is over the years, two divers got lost and drowned in, in this hole, ran out of oxygen in their tanks and actually drowned. And so now they've got like a grate underneath what you can see there. Uh, and, and underneath the grate, uh, there is, um, uh, you can't get underneath that unless you were going with a very specialized high-end diving team uh, you, that is really managing how they're taking care of people. Because what happened both times is somebody who was with somebody else just accidentally drifted in a very dark cavern, and now they got lost, and, and it was over. Um, but, it, like, if you get down in the cave, in fact, I got another picture. It's kind of from the angle. The, the, there it is from just the side. You can see how beautiful the water is and what it looks like and just how it drops off into the abyss. That, that, what, what's happening here is you're looking at this, and when I looked at it from the surface, I was in awe at the beauty of this. But when you, like, if you were to go down deep in there and begin to see the beauty from inside the cave, from inside the blue hole, and be able to scuba dive and start seeing the beauty of the caverns with big lights that would light it up, your awe would go through the roof. Now, here's what's happened over the last several weeks if you've been part of Genesis or if you decide to go back and read and study and listen to these. I, posted, I put out a blog post this week talking about these great truths that Christians have always believed. Each one of these truths is like, like this blue hole. That if you just walk up to the surface and stare into the humanity and deity of Christ, the beauty of the incarnation, it's mesmerizing, glorious. But our sermons have been people standing on the edge looking at the hole. You could spend your life diving deep into any of the truths that we've been talking about, and you would see the glory and beauty of a great Redeemer and Savior that would leave you a lifetime of search, and you would never, ever get to the bottom of any of these caverns. The, the infinite glory of Jesus. We've, we've skimmed the surface. We've shown you the top of the blue hole. We've not taken you. But like, spend your life looking at the incarnation. Spend your life understanding what we mean when we say Jesus died in your place. What, look at your, spend your life di- like putting the scuba deer and going into the fact that this man was dead on Friday and rose on Sunday. Glorious truths. And what Paul has done is in a synopsis, a quick way, Paul's one of these guys who's always got a scuba gear on. He's always in the cavern, but he's given us a hymn that looks again at this, but he comes to this great declaration. The more you look at Jesus, the more you will realize there is something drastically unique about Jesus than anybody else who's ever lived. 
and, and what he comes to the conclusion, and this is what the, the early church came to the conclusion, that what we, when we understand who Jesus is, there is no other thing we can say is other than that he is Lord. Now watch, what's that declaration? It is making a declaration that a person, not a religious idea, but a person, is the binding center of the entire universe, that all truth is his truth, that he is the core reality of all realities. And that that our being right with ourselves and the world around us will only happen when we rightly acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ in our life. And so we bow our knee to him. Like we, we give up ownership of our own lives. We, we trust in him solely. We run to Jesus and see his beauty and hold on to him. We taste and see that the Lord is good and we find his beauty in our lives. Our lives are only going to be aligned rightly and make sense in this world when they are lining up with the truth that Jesus is Lord. Period. Now, this is... That is a massive claim. They are walking around in a Roman world, and the Roman world also had a Lord. It had a spirituality and it had a Lord. The Roman world had the spirituality with the pantheon of gods. And if you would show up with your God, they'd be like, cool, you're spiritual. I like that. Add your God to our list. We, we want to cover them all. Paul walks into Athens, and he finds this, this idol to the unknown God. This is their way of saying, we got a bunch of gods, thousands of gods, but there's probably others out there we don't know about. Add yours to the list. We are so cool with this. But what the Roman world said was, but your Lord, the binding center of your existence is the Roman Empire and the Caesar. And the common confession in every corner of the Roman Empire would be to look at each other and go, hey, hope you're having a good day. By the way, Caesar is Lord. And the response was, what's up, buddy? Yes, the Lord is Caesar. In other words, what, what, what you were being told was the central binding truth in your life was your allegiance to the Roman Empire and very specifically the king of the Roman Empire. It was in this place that Paul and the early Christians would respond, no, 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 you got it all wrong. Jesus is Lord. Now you could, you could lose your life for that, first of all. It was countercultural. It was it, like in some places seen as anti-nationalistic, anti-patriotic, that you were destroying the Roman Empire, all this sort of stuff. Yet Christians who lived as good citizens had the central declaration that Jesus is Lord. Now, where'd they get this? They actually got it from Jesus himself. In John chapter uh, chapter 14, so find that passage for us in, in John. Jesus is talking to his, his leaders, to his, his disciples. And, and what he says to them is actually pretty revolutionary. What he says to them is pretty crazy. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not, uh, if it were not so, I, uh, would I have told you that? Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may, all, may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we uh, know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. 
uh, also, and now you do know him and have seen him. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's talking to his disciples. It's the last night of Jesus' life. This is the event that if you're familiar with the Christian faith, what will happen this night is that Jesus has already washed the disciples' feet. He will celebrate the Passover meal, the Jewish Passover meal, and redefine it in what we call the Last Supper, which is where we get communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist from. And, and later that night, Jesus is going to go get arrested. The next day, he's going to die on a cross. But he's talking to him, and he's like, listen, I've been with you a long time. You know where I'm going, and you know the way. And he speaks of going to a place where he's going to prepare a place for them. This is a reference to the second coming and the promise of eternity with, with Jesus, with God. But he says, you know where I'm going. Thomas, Thomas is like, Jesus, we, we have no idea what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Like, did you ping us with a Google map place? Did, like, like, did you send us a, a Google map with directions so I know how to get there? Because we don't even know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way to get to a place we don't even know where you're going? We're really confused. And Jesus does not look at them and go, all right, here's the deal, man. I'm setting up a system where I'm going to give you a religious path so you will know the way. Jesus looks at him and says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no doubt, like you can look at Christianity and disagree with this, but there is no doubt that what happens in the storyline of Christianity is that there is a central claim that, all, that Jesus is the only way, he is the only Lord, he is the only path. And so here we are today, we're sitting in the midst of this, and we're in a culture where that is the greatest heresy you can hold. And it's difficult. Around, all over Western culture, people who claim Jesus are backing away from the exclusivity of Jesus. They're joining in with the voices that, that are all around us in culture who are saying, listen, the most important thing we can be is tolerant. The only thing that's a problem and a sin in our culture is to claim you are the one who has the truth and people should follow you. Anytime Christians try to share their faith. We're called imperialistic and closed-minded and bigoted. It, it's, it's a tough thing. We have all kinds of voices that are saying this in culture uh, where you, you have Gandhi just flat out saying all paths leading to God are ultimately good. And Oprah Winfrey, you know, uh, kind of for a long time America's spiritual guru uh, said this, one of the biggest mistakes humans can make is to believe that there is only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. And so you have these voices that, that have turned into kind of the, the, the common view of our culture. And what's happened over the last 50 years is that Christianity for a long time was in a place of honor and, and its voice mattered. For 20 years, Christianity became the voice that was just neutral. It was just there. In the last 10 to 12 years, what has happened is that the, the, the voice of the Christian mission, the voice of Christianity, the way we see the world is now seen as the biggest problem in our culture. And it's tough. It's scary because central to this is the belief that we're intolerant bigots because we actually believe that there's only one way to know God. Let me think, picture it this way. <clears throat> picture this college student from 
our church, an evangelical Bible-believing church, shows up at their college or university, and they meet their dorm mates, these three other guys who are leave, living in a suite together, and they're hanging out, and you have this one, one student who actually is an international student who comes from India. He's a, he's a Hindu. Uh, his, his whole family heritage is rooted in this worldview of Hinduism. You have a second person who is a secular agnostic, doesn't really believe in God, just believes in being moral and a good human being and that sort of th- stuff, but really buys into the idea of the sciences. You have a third, third uh, young man who is, um, <clears throat> actually showed up there. He grew up in a more of a mainline denomination where they would, they would be really uncomfortable with, with any uh, language that, that points out that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the only way. They, they're like, like Jesus, he, they, they would say, like, Jesus is my way, but he's one of many paths, and you find your way, I'll find my way, very comfortable. And then you have this student who sat in this sermon and goes, I, I really believe that there is only one hope for all humanity, it's in Jesus. And you, you, they're, they're sitting around, they're eating their first meal together, and they're, they're talking sports and life and girls, and, but they get into philosophy and religion, and finally, they, like, it comes out where this one student is, and the Hindu looks at him and says, now wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. What, what you're telling me is that my parents and grandparents who spent their life in India, who've been Hindu all their life, are desperately doomed to an eternity in hell if they don't believe what you believe? got quiet because it's real now, isn't it? Do, do we really believe in the exclusivity of Jesus? And some of you in this room are already, the hair on the back of your neck standing up going, this is the problem, I, this is the, the, the worst thing. I can't believe this guy's trying to stand up here and make this argument. And, and the reason Followers of Jesus, I want you to listen to me. It's one of the things we're going to do all through this sermon series. Part of the reason there is so much angst in our culture around this message is because there are so many terrible, terrible stories that are from our history where this central truth has been used in ways that have been devastating People who believed that Jesus was the only way and it led to the Crusades. It led to the Spanish Inquisition. It led to stories of missionaries coming to reach and evangelize native peoples. But as they were doing it, it was done at the end of a sword and forced into a religious system that is Christianity. It has come in our culture with so many people who hold the Bible and would believe the Bible, but the posture of their heart is hateful and mean-spirited and judgmental, and they they treat people like dirt. Twitter is so toxic with this, this crazy Christianity that believes the right things but does it in ways that are devastating to the Christian faith. And and I just want to look at some of these people out there going, do you not know that you are doing more harm to Christianity or at least as much harm to the gospel and its witness as the people who are actually abandoning the truth that you're trying to hold on to? It's it's why we need need Jesus. We need to look at his posture and heart. And so if, like, if you're here and you've, you've got church hurt because somebody in the name of Jesus 
did horrible things and they hurt you. I, I feel your pain and I'm so, so sorry that in the name of right beliefs, people did terrible and said terrible things. That there wasn't a compassion and a love towards people. And I just want to tell you, look to Jesus. That's not the way he rolls. It's not the way he does it. Jesus lovingly holds on to the beautiful truth of the gospel while at the same time doing it in a way that is filled with love and compassion and grace. Now, in the midst of this, there is this struggle because our culture is looking at us and saying, oh, it's all well and good that you say that, but the central problem is that you keep saying there's only one way. How can you say that? There's many paths. How can you look at this Hindu family and say, listen, their way is not the right path? How can you look at the agnostic who just has a form of spirituality? What makes you think? And we've, we've come to this culture where the highest theology, the, 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 the greatest good is, is for you to be spiritual, but to keep your spirituality to yourself. Do not proclaim any sort of thing that is, is true. Abandon absolute ultimate truth. Run away from it. Hold your spirituality. Celebrate your spirituality with the spirituality of other people, but don't evangelize and don't ever say there's only one way to God. And it sounds good. Our culture is, is claiming this, but there are some really big problems with that viewpoint. And what I would say is like, I'm going to start wading through. How would I respond? Like if I'm the 19 year old kid, how would I respond? How would I wrestle with that? Based on Jesus as Lord, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I would start by doing what the book does. So I'm not going to go real deep. I will challenge you, read the chapter. Her, most of this chapter in her book she begins to show you how the claims made in our culture are actually super counterproductive. For example, if I look at you and say, listen, there's not only, there, there, is, there are many paths. If I take the Oprah thing, there are many paths to God. There's not one, there's, there's more than one way. Um, my first question is, how do you know that? What's, what's the basis of you telling me that? Well, there's so many different spiritualities and everything out there. And I would say, so what you're telling me is, that you were looking at the adherence of all the world religion, the billions of people, and what you were saying is, when they say that I am right and you're wrong, they are wrong and you are right when you say that they are wrong and I am right. Did you, did you catch that? Okay, let me, let me say it again, okay? When a person says there's many paths, they're looking at the billions of people who hold firmly to a religion, and they're looking, literally looking at those people and going, what you believe is wrong. I have the right religion. The tolerance movement in American Western culture is incredibly exclusive. It is looking at anybody who believes anything and it is saying, your beliefs are not true because there is no truth. And therefore, my beliefs are the only one we're going to listen to because my beliefs are the true beliefs. There's no such thing as absolute truth and that's true. And if you're not laughing at this point in time, you don't get it. There is a crazy misunderstanding, but, but there is a cruelty to look at people and go, what you believe passionately is the greatest sin. That is an arrogance that, to be honest with you, not even Christians have. Because Christians, hopefully we are looking at people going, 
I give you full freedom. Like, it is Christians in the world. We're going to get into this later, so I can't go to it. It is Christians in the world who've been the largest arguers for religious liberty and freedom. The freedom of speech. Like, that came from us, not the secular world, okay? Just so you know. Because what we're saying is, I believe in your right to be the religion and voice your opinions, all this sort of stuff. I'm not going to silence your mouth. What I am going to do is I'm going to argue that there is a better way and Christ is the hope. And so, so what you end up with is there are all kinds of ways. And she does a great job in the book. I'm already way too deep in this, this moment in the sermon. She does a great job in the book of helping you frame arguments that are not like really arguments that say why Jesus is the way to truth and life. They are arguments to look at people and go, let me hear what you're claiming. What you're saying is this. Are you saying that's true? Yes, but you don't believe in truth. And if it, like you're getting, there's, there's a place where they're stuck and they're the most closed-minded because what, what the tolerance movement does is it cancels anybody who doesn't agree with them. It's the most exclusive spirituality in our culture and they don't get it. Like you'll see people go, wait, oh, duh. Like, and you don't have to make a Christian. You can say, okay, I can sit at that table when... That is said to me, and somebody goes, all religions lead the same path. I would look right at the Hindu friend and go, do you believe that? And if he's authentically Hindu, he would say, absolutely not. Your Muslim friends do not believe that there are many paths. They believe their spirituality is the right and true spirituality. But in the midst of that, what's going on in Christianity is radically different. And Jesus, when he makes this beautiful claim about himself, he doesn't say, listen, I have the best of many possible ways. He says something radically different that is what makes Christianity massively distinct and different from every other religion. And so let me illustrate it this way. i got to explain what the central claim of the gospel is. Central claim of the gospel. Do you realize that every world religion and spirituality begins with a certain set of assumptions that are actually the same no matter where you go? I don't care where you go, there is a certain set of assumptions and beliefs that every form of spirituality, every form of religion agree on. And you're like, well, you're now sounding like one of these people who are arguing for inclusivity. I am on this. Every religion looks at me and goes, I'm here. Now, there's a few nutty ones out there who go, no, we're really in the matrix. But those people have probably been using some of the, the, you know, different forms of, you know, medication. You know. Uh, but, but there are some, that, a few out there who say, no, everything's an illusion. We're just wrapped up in a system. We're in the mind of God, whatever it is. But no, no major world religions believe that. No true spiritual trust. Everybody says, I'm here. I'm real. I exist. Second, they're going to tell us that there is some form of divinity. There is a God. There, it may be many gods. It may be one true God that is an energy field. We may end up with the force of Star Wars or the spiritual God of, of the, the, the Romans where it's just all kinds of gods. But there is some form of deity. And, and whoever that deity is or whatever deity exists, that deity is how we find purpose, meaning, and make sense of our lives. Everywhere a religion, there is a God, there is, or there, here I am, I'm here, there is a God, he, that God is here. And the third basic premise every world religion has is that there is a gap and a problem between me and, and this God. I don't care where you go. Those three premises are true in every world religion. I don't care if you start with certain forms of Christianity, maybe the Christianity you grew up with. I don't care if you go to a Muslim house of worship. I don't care if you go hang out with Hindus. They're going to tell you 
who I am. They're going to give definition to your humanity and say, you're here. Those definitions sometimes look different, but they're going to say, you're here. They're going to say, there is some kind of divine, some kind of spiritual energy, some kind of God. And then they're going to say, and our existence in the world has all kinds of problems. There is a gap between me and God. Now, how they get those three things solved looks different in every religion. Uh, and so you end up like the spirituality of Hinduism, which is God is more of an energy field. And the problem is that I need to go through a series of life and rebirth because eventually my ultimate problem, the gap here is that I'm God and I don't realize that yet. And I need to move towards being absorbed into the divine. But, but what happens is the basic three premise, I'm there, God's here, problem here. And what happens is that every world religion, every church, every religious approach in the world looks at that and says, and if you will come to me, come to us, we have the new and best path. We have the the better way. We have a system of morality, beliefs, and religious practices that if you will step into that system of morality, beliefs, and religious practices, it will bridge the, the gap. Now, I'm just telling you, everywhere you go, that's what's happening when you look at religion. There are different definitions of the human, definitions of God, definitions of the problem, but every religion says, come to me. You, you go to Hinduism, they're going to give you the eightfold path. You go to Islam, they're going to give you the five pillars of Islam. You go to a Baptist church, and if they're not careful, they're going to tell you that you, you date the right people, you, you, you don't drink and smoke and, and, and do drugs, and, 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 and you, you live a good moral life, and somehow get dunked and believe in Jesus, but they've created a path, they've created a come to us, we've got the system. You go to Catholicism, it's do the sacraments. I don't care where you go, the premise is the same. And and listen to me, hear me clearly. If what we're arguing is that our path is the best path, then the world's right. We need to shut up and go home and just keep our spirituality to ourselves. Christianity is not the best of possible religions out there. It's something radically other than any other worldview or religion. And it's the reason we can't walk away from this. And Jesus makes it clear. Because what happens in the gospel is the gospel says, yep, you matter. You were made in the image of God. You are here. Like, do this real quick. Hit yourself. I'm here, and I know my humanity matters. There is a God, a benevolent, loving God who created heaven and earth and created you. He is good. There is a massive problem. The problem is our human rebellion where we've looked at God and snubbed him and made idols, gods of our own making, to fill the void in our heart that was there to know God, but we filled it with all kinds of spiritualities. But those spiritualities compound the problem because we don't know the true and living God. The problem in Christianity is the same. But you need to know this. The gospel clearly looks at us and says, there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Nothing. There's nothing. There's no system. There's no path. There's no hope. And in steps Jesus who comes in the world. What is the gospel? The gospel is that I'm there. I know I matter. God is here. There's this gap. 
And no matter what I do, I can't solve the problem. And God says, here's what I'll do. I'll come and bridge the gap for you. Jesus is not a better system. Jesus came to be the way, the truth, the life. Listen, Jesus does not claim to be a religious leader with a better, more advanced way to God. He is the way. Jesus did not come to be a rabbi with a system of truth to disseminate in a world. He is the truth. He did not come to be a life coach to show us how to have a full and meaningful life. He is the life. If you're a follower of Jesus and you lose the exclusivity of Jesus, you have lost the gospel. That teenager is in a tough spot. And that moment may not be the, the place to come full board just like I did. It may mean that my goal is over four semesters to have micro conversations. But the minute he looks at the Hindu and goes, no, that's not what I'm saying. He will lose everything. His Jesus will never be the Jesus of the Bible. It will be some guru. It'll be a life coach and a guru. He will become a life coach and a guru, not a savior. Now, if this is true, then the world's going, whoa, wait a minute. We have to learn how to articulate this. And the way we articulate it is, is, is by sitting and looking at people and going, you know what, instead of arguing over this question, would you spend a summer, a semester, just reading the Gospels with me and looking at Jesus? I don't want to argue with you over this question. What I want to do is I want to show you my Jesus. I want to point you to who he is. I want to, I want to explain what happens in the story. I want to show you how he interacts with people. I want to show you his compassion, his love. I want to show you how he reaches the unreachable and he cares for all the people that religious people wouldn't care for. I want, I want to show you him parting with hookers and prostitutes and, and drug dealers and, and, and tax collectors. I, I want to see you how he hung out with the worst people that the religious people shunned. I want to show you how he touched lepers who were marginalized and cared for them and healed them. I want to show you the deep, beautiful compassion of Jesus. I just, like, let's not argue about whether or not Jesus is the only way. Will you just spend some time looking at Jesus with me? And if you can get people there, if you can get them over the hole and staring into the blue water, and then every once in a while say, hey, let's go for a swim people will begin to see the beauty of Jesus and they will find joy in the exclusive claim that only God saves through Christ. Listen, there's a way to be right. There's a way to be right and still blow up the gospel. Jesus either rose again or he didn't. Jesus either came or he didn't. But there is a way to hold the truth of Christ without the humility and love of Jesus. And there's also a way to have the humility and compassion of Jesus while abandoning the truth of Christ. And both of those are ditches that wreck our faith. And one of the things, listen, follower of Jesus in the room, hear me. As we even wrestle with this question in the culture, we need to do it with kid gloves knowing that you may be talking to somebody who's been wounded by a religious person who had their theology right and look nothing like Jesus. 
So let me tell you about the hymn. This man, Jesus, thought it not robbery to call himself equal with God, but he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you hear that and you go, there it is. There's the Christian version of if you don't bow to Jesus. The whole context of this passage is him looking at the Christian church and saying, if you really know Jesus, your life would look like him when you treat the way you interact with others. Do, do you have compassion, humility? Are you willing to step into places where there are broken people who don't believe what you love, believe and love them anyway, or are the people out there, out there? I'm gonna say something that's crazy controversial. I'm sorry, sometimes I just do that, and I'll probably tick some of y'all off. I am not for whatever the world is defining as quote-unquote wokeness, but you need to hear me. We in Christianity are more concerned that people are woke than that they are lost. And that's a problem. And we're evangelizing a form of cultural interaction instead of pointing to people to Jesus as a result. Am I, am I troubled by some of the things that get taught in schools? Absolutely. It's not my greatest goal, though. I want my neighbors to know about Jesus. And right now, people who are claiming Jesus on Twitter and Facebook are harming the gospel because the way they interact with these issues and our world is looking going, if that's what it means to be Christian, nope, I don't want any part of that. They're bigots and hard-headed, and then they look at you and me and go, and that's who you are too, because you believe the same things. And Paul is looking at this church going, if you believe in the exclusivity of the gospel, it will create a people who are deeply compassionate and gentle and loving like him. Right? And then we can turn to the world and go, let me, let me explain something to you. Christianity is the most inclusive religion in the world. You need to know this. It's the most inclusive religion in the world. It does point to the world and say there's a universal problem. But see, when I look at the world and say, here's the problem, it's a universal problem, we're all broken, it, it, I, that, that's verifiable. All I gotta do is read the morning newspaper. But what it means is it shows me that this universal problem is mine now. I'm not better than you. I, I don't have a higher view of the world because I became a Christian. I I'm a sinner saved by grace. I have no basis for arrogance or pride. No basis. But, but this invitation then is universal because there is, in this answer, a universal love. That problem is met with universal love. The other interesting thing about the world relig religions is that they don't start with the love of God. But I can look at every human being on planet Earth. I can sit at that table and say, listen, I don't know how to get into this conversation, but I can look at you, Hindu friend. I can look at you, uh, agnostic friend. I can look at you, quasi-Christian, cultural Christian friend. I can tell you this for certain. The God of the universe loves you, and he is for you. And he proved it by sending his only son, Jesus, to offer himself as your sacrifice. He is like there's a universal love that is displayed in the person of Jesus that is on display for the world to see. And it's universal. And that universal love comes with the universal invitation that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That no matter who you are, if you turn to Jesus, and what's happened as a result of this, I don't know if you know this, we're going to get into more of this down the road in this series but every other world religion and worldview out there is basically centered on two continents, no more than that. 
Millions of adherents to Islam, but it's basically a <coughs> uh, Asia, um, North Africa phenomenon spreading into parts of Europe. Uh, it's coming here too. I'm not saying it's not, but, but the, the majority culture of that majority culture of, of Hinduism is Southeast Asia. I mean, you look at every world religion and it's centered in a local place around some teacher and wherever that teacher was, the, the majority of adherents are there. But Christ, something happened with Christianity with a humble Jewish Galilean peasant. The gospel spread to the world so that no continent can claim majority Christian. There are Christians in every continent, among every people group, in every place. Why does that happen? Because the gospel creates a, an inclusive community that looks at the world and says, we don't care what your background is. We don't care what your beliefs are. We don't care what your story is. We don't care what your failures are. We don't care if you look different from us, if you act different from us, if, if you wear a suit and a tie or you're covered with tattoos. We don't care if those, like your life story is that you grew up in a religious home and you're the good person. We don't care if your life's a hot mess and falling apart. We can tell you that Jesus loves you. He is for you. Run to him. He will save you. One true gospel. One true gospel. Al Mohler put it like this, and I'm closing with this so uh, our band can head up on stage and we can sing to Jesus. He said this. He says, all of these proposals, in other words, the belief that there are many ways to God, work fine if we don't need a Savior. If all we need is a teacher of enlightenment, the Buddha will do. If all we need is a collection of gods for every occasion, need, or hope, Hinduism will do. If all we need is a tribal deity, any tribal deity will do. If all we need is a lawgiver, Moses will do. If all we need is a set of rules and a way of devotion, Muhammad or Joseph Smith will do. If all we need is inspiration and insight into the sovereign self, Oprah will do. But if we need a Savior, if we need a Savior, which we do, only Jesus will do. You're here today and you're you're searching and you're just like, okay, I don't even like I this bothers me. I don't want to convince you of the exclusivity of Jesus today. What I want you to do is invite you to look into the big blue hole and see the beauty of Jesus. Read the gospel. Start with the gospel mark and just read it. And look at Jesus. You will find somebody who is other in that story. Lord, we love you today, praise you for this, and just ask that you will make this clear to us and we will all do it. Help us believe in the truth of Jesus, but also hold fast to the only hope for the world is Jesus. Yet make us people who do that like you, Jesus, that with compassion and love and grace and, and actually authentically caring about our neighbors and not caring about them just so that they will become Christian, caring about them because we authentically care like you did. Shape us to look like you while we also believe like you, Jesus, and hold on to these central truths. And Lord, may this turn into our ability to share the gospel in the world around us with gentleness and respect. And Lord, if there's people here today who don't know you, who this is kind of a, maybe a hard thing to listen to, I, I just pray that you would draw them to yourself, that you would show them your beauty, and that their eyes would be open. In your name I pray, amen.